Hi Earthlings and welcome to another episode of the Mother Earth Heroes podcast. This is a podcast where we speak with inspiring people who are designing companies, products and systems to make a better world. You get to hear how they ideated, prototyped and tested their concepts and the impact that they're having on the world. In the next few episodes of the Mother Earth Hero Show, we're looking at food. What we eat and how and where we produce it are having a devastating effect on our planet. From deforestation, soil degradation, to loss of biodiversity. With the global population expected to grow to 10 billion by 2050, we're going to have to dramatically change the agricultural industry in the coming years. So in these upcoming episodes, we're going to be talking to people who are setting out to do just that and disrupt the way we produce food and what we eat. On the podcast today, we're joined by Alex Dixon. He is a United Nations Young Champion of the Earth. He's one of the founders of Phytoponics, who offer deep water culture technology. What is deep water culture technology? Well, that is one of the things that we're going to get into in this episode today. We're also going to learn how Alex turned a hobby and curiosity about a subject into disrupting an industry, how he grew a network to gain the knowledge that he needed, use criticism also to strengthen his ideas, and how your prototype needs to evolve when you look to scale the business and how you also need to look about circular design and recyclable materials for a healthy system and also for human health. And of course, much, much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Alex Dixon. I started a doctorate in like advanced uh, computer-aided uh, ethnography analysis in multidisciplinary engineering design, which was, yeah, it's a whole load of... Uh, well thought out stuff but uh, my passion wasn't really in it so I did one year of that and then I quit uh, the first year was wrapped up into an MPhil you know, PhD is and um, I quit to start Phytoponics because my real passion was in um, entrepreneurship and uh, you know, the, the you know, hydroponics and growing plants and trying to you know, sustainable agriculture and bring that about and stuff just very curious well I mean you were growing hydroponically stuff yeah. for, for many years it seems. Yeah. Uh, what, what sort of direction would that have been just... yeah, well, I, was, I was growing in my uh, sort of student housing and stuff uh, I had like a great big uh, I'd grow lights and stuff um, I, didn't grow, I never grew marijuana uh, although I was tempted, um, <laughs> I grew uh, exotic fruit. Like um, I grew a jackfruit plant, uh, durian plant, um, stuff like passion fruit, dragon fruit, um, uh, quite, uh, quite a few other like uh, orchid cacti and uh, carnivorous plants. And and I actually, when I moved to Italy for an accelerator program, I actually donated my plants to the Welsh National Botanic Gardens, and they're currently still there. Uh, there's a starfruit plant which uh, I checked up on a, a few months, like well, half half a year ago, <laughs> and it's uh, still good. So um, wow, I, I was, okay. I was learning the practical side of things and getting a feel for uh, you know, how to uh, sort of grow plants. So you kind of like that tweaking, that sort of trying to understand a system and then improving it. Yeah, that, um, yeah. Um, it was quite a rudimentary system. It was more like understanding how plants grow. Um, that was the key thing and how to grow different types of plants. Uh, and I think I reached a sort of, I needed like more resources and 
help. What was the kind of ecosystem there in, in hydroponics back in 2016? So my teen from 2010, 2016, I was, I was pretty much... Um, early 20s i was pretty much experimenting with hydroponics um using home hobby systems uh, made by nutriculture yeah, some really good uh some really good systems and um so i was learning about deep water culture where you you, know, grow, you grow uh plants with the roots suspended in like uh nutrient water that you aerate and um i sold uh, i tried a lot of other um uh, technologies um but yeah i was really drawn to deep water culture and i wanted to make it commercial scale uh, so I thought of ways to make it sort of low cost and you know, scalable. And the ecosystem at 2016, um, I think there was some burgeoning vertical farming stuff going on, like uh, aero farms and um, um, you know, using like aeroponic technology and uh, those nutrient film technique. Uh, and uh, was, uh, but the, the market dominant hydroponics was uh, what called substrate uh, and cocoa qua substrate. Um, so like inert uh, media that yeah, you, you put nutrients on in, in the irrigation system. Um, and that was the market dominant one. But there, there was a real open goal for uh, deep water culture, and there still is, um, because that deep water culture was only really used for um, sort of floating raft salad systems, which are uh, yeah, very uh, impressive, but um, weren't used for... Um, uh, more substantial crops like tomatoes, peppers, aubergines. So, uh, yeah, I saw, I saw that as a, uh, the open goal, as it were. So I started phytoponics to, like, really sort of develop the commercial scale type systems. Um, yeah, like increasing, like, the precision of uh, nutrient control, recirculation, filtration, and doing things on a systematic large scale. Well, with also a focus for commercial uh, costs, like low-cost uh, uh, materials and systems, um, which was a learning process. Yeah. I had to expand my uh, network and really engage with commercial horticulture types because you know, like pretty much like 99% of our fresh produce, or yeah, the vast majority of it, is grown by commercial horticulturists who uh, systemize things, scale, and do things efficiently. Um, and that's the key. So uh, I spent a lot of time learning from uh, some uh, expert commercial horticulturists. Uh, <laughs> this guy, uh, Graham Dunling, yeah, he's he, he, uh, not far from my hometown in, uh, uh, in Yorkshire. He was doing vertical farms in um, Dubai, United Arab Emirates. He was our uh, sort of first hydroponic advisor. Uh, and then we got connected to uh, our current managing director, uh, Victor Lambert, who's a commercial horticulturist. But he also connected us to uh, uh, agronomists and um, so some of my own sort of uh, networking uh, connected to uh, leading scientists and uh, like sort of built together a sort of network uh, of um, people, uh, including like Wageningen How University. How did you find that? Were they, were they open? As in, because I mean, ultimately you're, you're going to some, some leaders in the field yeah. and asking them to... To share their knowledge with you how how was their response well like they saw what i was doing and there was two camps uh, one was one of one camp was really interested and wanted to get involved and sort of help out and like advise when, when i told them about the ideas kind of like a new new understandings of plant science uh they were very excited and uh, i'm in the process now of starting some academic journal papers to wrap up some of my ideas and get get them published um, you know, as a sort of foundation for um, the deep water culture hydroponics. 
Um, and then a second camp, we're a lot uh, more skeptical, of course, because I think t- traditionally, like, the, there's been a lot of uh, products and uh, people, well-meaning people who come in the space, commercial horticulture space with ideas, um, but they don't have necessarily the practical know-how for commercial horticulture to do things at scale and make money. So th- those people were actually uh, perhaps the most useful because um, they helped me like really uh, understand economic use case and uh, breakdown of, um, of you know, commercial horticulture. So I, can, I could refine the technology to um, serve them um, in, a, you know, <laughs> in a way um, that could make them money and that they could actually use. And, okay, so, yeah. so it was almost like the cynic was more useful than the advocate. The cynic was more useful in helping me refine my thought, um, but the advocate, <laughs> yeah, more useful in uh, actually uh, uh, making things happen. So you kind of launched into a market, and I suppose it's one of these things quite often where you we, we think we know a lot about a market until we go into it. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges you had to, obviously getting knowledge was a big challenge, but what were the other sort of challenges you had to overcome? Any stories from yeah, that period? So, well, ultimately, the biggest, story, the biggest challenge was um, getting resources. Because you know, I started um, the Phytoponics um, without any money or like, yeah, it was like a really tough bootstrapping period. You know, I didn't pay myself a salary for two years. We were just living hand to mouth, um, trying to like make things happen. We got an accelerator and got some small investment, like 15,000 euros. Uh, and then I got a United Nations. So yeah, it was really tricky because I had to, had to pitch to investors of a, you know, a certain age uh, group, which typically um, um, they want to invest in people who've done it before and or have a track record in the field. But I was like a new entrant, you know, I was 24, 26, pitching for, you know, like a million pounds and stuff. And uh, <laughs> um, it, it was, it's very hard to, um, well, it's just hard to establish that credibility, but did eventually uh, after bootstrapping and um, United Nations Award help because it was like a bit of a, a validation, as it were, like a, like a leg up in the, uh, you know, um, sort of awareness. Um, but the key thing was connecting to the right first investor. So, First investor I connected to, uh, which um, was successful, was a, a really nice guy, uh, Stephen Platts. Um, he, he was a guy who could um, I could talk to about the sort of vision, and he had his own ideas as well about um, where the technology could go. And he he served as like a sort of gateway to um, um, other investors, mm-hmm. who were then started, funded Phytoponics, and um, that that was the that was the key challenge because with resource with a degree of independence to actually enact um, a strategic vision and, you know, bring in uh, certain uh, skilled uh, professionals and supporters on on my terms as the entrepreneur, that was, um, that was key because um, I can, um, when you have the position to be able to like, uh, grow the business, how you see it will grow. That's, that's really good. Um, because, um, you, you can make things happen. You know, it's not, a, not the case of just rustling up some software and releases and stuff and refining it. It's, it's a case yeah. of like, being like new hardware based on like polymers, which requires like, um, space engineering and engineering. And then growing these plants in a relatively commercial uh, environment, um, which can take uh, you know, many, many months. So 
uh, thankfully um, had the support of uh, some really good investors to uh, go through that process. And um, yeah, we didn't, we, we, we hit quite a lot of proof points. Uh, some of them we didn't, but we found out why. And then the next time we, you know, we set, up, set it up to uh, hit those and we expanded the crops. Um, and all the meanwhile, um, I had to like really delve into the, uh, the science behind, you know, maximizing yield and making system work. And that, that's where the key intellectual property is because, um, uh, as well as the um, sort of lateral thinking I have to design products for low cost and high usability and performance. So that was an exciting uh, period. That's, I suppose we could say this is the, the, the prototyping phase. Now, um, just imagine you've got my mum yeah, here and yeah. you want to explain to Val exactly what it is that you do. Could you do it in a sort of a form where uh, you could explain it in a simplified way? Sure, sure, yeah. Hi, Valerie, yeah. Yeah, we, we make um, make hydroponic systems. So um, basically we um, give plants an all-you-can-eat buffet of water and nutrients and oxygen that can um, make them really grow fast and strong. Our technology is a bit like a jacuzzi in a bag. So it's like um, a bubbling mass of nutrients that the plant roots sit in and yeah, just grow really well, basically. Um, and we use it in, we set these up in glass houses and polytunnels uh, to really sort of grow things really well. And what are the key advantages then that you'd have over, say, a traditional system, which is just grown in that greenhouse? Yeah, well, this is, um, so we start, started off, um, one of the benefits was it's substrate free. So you don't have to dispose of substrates or replace substrates every year. Um, plus, there's a, a potential for enhanced root zone control. So with that, you can um, have more uniform crops. You can um, um, boost yield if you know the parameters how to do that, which is uh, one of the IP things um, that we have. Um, but also, like we learned one of the key ones is because we have deep water culture, it's like a lot of water recirculating. We, mm. we, we learned them, we can basically use that water as a, you know, and heat the water or cool the water to control the glass house temperature and the crop temperature very, very efficiently. Because instead of heating like a whole house with big radiators to heat the whole space, we can heat mm. the nutrient solution and the, and the air around the, um, the crop to um, cut energy use um, dramatically. Like, it depends okay. on the greenhouse, but uh, we estimate we can cut energy use up to about 50% in, in some cases, which changes the economics of the uh, glasshouse growing quite considerably. So you were working in, uh, I think, uh, in Italy and also Spain. Water consumption is increasingly becoming an issue. Is that something yeah. that's reduced in the system? Yeah, so it's a it's a closed loop system. So once the water's in, it just recirculates and the plant uses what it needs. So as opposed to like drip irrigation and uh, non-recirculating systems, we've got a clear advantage. Plus, uh, in those sort of countries, um, typically sometimes they have water shortages. So uh, yeah, you might have water for two days and then you don't have water for a couple of days or something. And the the sort of mass of water in our system, like buffers that you know, you've got like um, three four days of water in the system in case of uh, water outages but compared to like let's say soil drip irrigation you use about uh, 10 times less water because 
the water that's irrigated in uh, normal drip irrigation soil sort of evaporates. Uh, you lose a lot of it. Whereas um, in our system, um, yeah, all the water's contained in the root zone. So like the, the evaporative losses are minimal. I don't understand completely um, the materials that go into the products that you produce, but um, is there anything, any thought going towards like circular design? Oh yeah, big time, yeah. But it, uh, well, our main material in the grow modules is uh, polythene, which is it's very safe. You think of plastic and stuff, but it's basically one massive piece, like 50 meters long, which is really easily just rolled up and then like recycled. And because it's, it's a high-grade polymer, it's, there are companies that re, uh, recycle who, who would come and pick it up for free or potentially even pay a small amount for the privilege, a bit like scrap metal. We've, we've ingrained that circular economy into our product. You know, after, after use, it, they can also be repaired and, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call it, refurbished, sorry, and sold to um, customers that require a lower spec or, let's say, um, lower cost version of the product so yeah we we, we do embody that uh circular economy quite a lot um, and i made sure to um the reason why i use polythene is because it's so safe and inert because a lot of um plastics even like biodegradable plastic it's, it's a real tragedy but a lot of them contain endocrine disrupting chemicals that mess with the body's estrogens or yeah neuropeptides and stuff and um but polythene's like it's clean and inert, so it's it's like a really safe, uh, low cost and high performance material. So we've opted for the recycling circular economy route rather than biodegradability because biodegradability would um, well it, <laughs> it comes at a cost basically, and it seems nice in principle, but um, from the materials av- available currently, um, the cost is. Uh, endocrine disruption and uh, low low performance. So I stay, yeah. I stay away from that. And is this something that could be combined? Because there's an, also there's an issue of trying to localize, you know, to try and reduce the, the distance that we're taking uh, our food from. Is this something you could also combine with things like vertical farms or is this more of a, a, a sort of for the glass houses and those polytubes? Yeah, so, yeah, technology works fine in vertical farms. Um, vertical farms, um, <laughs> well, we, we, we were focusing on the commercial horticulture sector, which solar power, the sun going through the glass, and we might use artificial lights to supplement uh, light, but not to replace it. Because vertical farms, um, the crops that are grown in vertical farms, leafy greens and salads, they actually need about 10 times less light than tomatoes. because yeah, there's no sugars in a lettuce uh, or leafy green um, or microgreen um, compared to you know a tomato crop where you got quite a lot of sugars. So um, we're sort of developing it, the technology for economic uh, profitability, but as well as resource efficiency because if we use the sunlight uh, in sort of glass houses, polytunnels, it's which which can be deployed in peri-urban spaces and you know not far from the consumer um, because you can control the environment. You don't need to worry about the local climate as much. Um, we find that's more sustainable and um, um, effective currently than um, yeah putting everything in a building and uh, lighting it artificially. 
I can imagine the installations would be, even though your, your aim, I guess, is to have a, a sort of affordable, sustainable hydroponic growing system, it's still going to be quite expensive, I'd imagine, when you do this at scale. How does it work with a business model with partners and people like that? Or how's that come about? Yeah, so it depends on the technology space we're going into. Uh, we've got... Um technology packages for uh, uh, high technology glass houses in Northern Europe. That typically we, 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 uh, we partner with an installer who serves that region and knows how to install our, our technology. Um, we try and make it as plug and play as possible. So it's uh, you know, instructions. So it's, um, it's easy to, uh, well, we basically uh, educate the lead technician or uh, agro technologist person or the local installer. and. Um, um, have them set it up as a if it if it's a retrofit. So like you know if they've got something already, but we just need to swap uh, our parts for theirs, and then um, yeah they're good to go. But if it's a new installation, then uh, yeah we partner with a systems partner who will help uh, install um, and, and set things up and commission. Um, but then if we're looking at the lower technology space, um, we've got. Um, lower cost versions, which are a bit more rudimentary, uh, and, you know, they work. It's like the 80-20 rule. We can provide 80% of the benefit for um, yeah, a lower cost um, to the lower technology customers, people with like shade tents or polytunnels. But, but that, that's, that's, the, that's the sort of next stage in our product development pipeline. And, and has it changed since um, the, the 2016? It's like sort of rolled on for maybe you know, five years or so. And also the interest, I think, obviously on food security and uh, you know degradation of soil. There's probably increased interest, I would imagine. Yeah. So um, the technology we've had changed quite considerably because we started with like a small inflatable modules. We found inflatables. Um, well. Uh, it's possible to make them work, but you know, with uh, punctures and stuff, it's it was too much of a, a faff, basically, and sort of cleaning. So um, we shifted to a sort of um, annual use or like you know um, a simpler hanging liner version, where we still had our uh, sort of patent pending uh, features, but um, it, it was a lot more commercially scalable because it's like a simple thing that can be uh, you know, uh, installed. Um, on a frame and you know that, that frame can be uh, there for 10 20 years but the uh, the liner can be sort of swapped out in between cleaned and that made it a lot look a lot more commercial which attracted a lot more commercial partners but in turn so we partnered with uh, total world fresh which is a uk subsidiary of total produce plc which is one of the largest fruit and veg distributors uh, globally and uh yeah they're, they're a real strong partner because they're sort of key they helped us like get into the uh, soft fruit space with strawberries um we'll, we'll be looking at raspberries after strawberries and uh help help me like understand um which direction the technology and my ideas would be um the most fruitful literally um and with the press releases in the horticulture sector you know, we get we get quite a lot of interest um um, but as a sort of young company, we have to choose our first customers and partners carefully to select the people who, can, who we can grow with and we can hit our proof points and achieve what we want to achieve prior to mass scale up and roll out, which we hope to, uh, hope to be doing uh, next year. 
Okay, so I, mean, I know that at the moment you've been focusing on the software. What about other crops uh, eventually? Where do you see this going? Where, what's possible? Sure. So the, the first crops uh, we're focusing on are, are the big commercial crops, like tomatoes, peppers, aubergines, strawberries. But yeah, you know, I've grown like a, like loads of things in the system. Like you know, I've grown uh, dragon fruit. I grew the first Yorkshire, uh, well, probably the first British hydroponic dragon fruit. That's like a, a tropical cacti plant. Really nice. You know, I've grown a uh, rambutan. I've grown vanilla. Uh, you know, basically, like it, it depends on the value of the crop. What the, the, the sort of marginal uh, profitability of um, if we grew that crop perfectly, would it make us? Would it make more money than growing it on a, on a large open field with like you know combine harvester or uh, you know, fruit pickers or something? And um, so because we're improving the profitability of the sector, making more crops profitable to grow. And so I, I, see, I see it currently going towards quite a wide range of crops, um, including like some fruit tree crops and, or like, uh, like a wider range of exotic fruit and veg crops. Um, and I do see it eventually going into more staple crops uh, to provide, you know, mass sort of calories and stuff. Not, not for like wheat or anything, but like um, maybe some um, you know, tubers. And um, but I think that, that that incarnation of the technology will look very, very different to what it looks now. So it's and it's far in the future. We have to do it step by step. Start with the most profitable crops and work our way down and innovate along the way. So um, so one of the things that what's kind of changed in your life since you went down this path um, four years ago, five years ago? <laughs> well, uh, hell of what's changed. Uh, I've, I've sort of like developed as an individual, like loads, <laughs> the trial and error and the sort of tragedies and the sort of mistakes and also the great successes and the breakthroughs and the people on the way. It really has like changed me like uh, as a person hugely. And uh, it's very exciting because I'm, um, I'm at a position now where I've got like um, a really strong open goal. I've refined our technology to like a point where we can really disrupt the market. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, some of the biggest troubles along the way has been, uh, you know, uh, sort of people issues and there, there's, there's some, you know, politics when you're involved, involving money and stuff. So uh, navigating through that is a, is a, is a really good uh, learning opportunity. Um, but at the end of the day, I've got some great supporters now, including our chairman, David Kremer, former, uh, I think he's the owner of the Rubik's Cube. Uh, and like, uh, we've got um, R&D, uh, Victor Lambert. He's um, a very experienced horticulturalist. And we've got some really strong partners like Total World Fresh. And we've got some good first customers, Red Sea Farms in Saudi Arabia. Like, um, so we, we've, got, we've got the recipe. Uh, I'm just, I'm just sort of, uh, I'm, I'm keeping it all aligned towards the sort of end goal, which is to, you know, revolutionize uh, agriculture in this century. Well, you sound incredibly, um, incredibly positive, and uh, I love the idea of a, 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 a good open goal there to, to be shooting at. Um, and what, um, I suppose, what's your kind of uh, vision then? I mean, just, just in the next few years uh, that, that you hope will come about. Yeah, so I think COVID's disrupted us a bit because, um, yeah, we're, we're having to work at distance with people. Like, um, it's sort of broken down, like, uh, sort of efficiencies and synergies. So I hope to emerge from the uh, the COVID time uh, and, like, 
but yeah, we got a hell of a lot. We had, did a hell of a lot of work and got a lot of achievements uh, during the period. Anyway, I hope to emerge from that with like a, a strong positivity to expand our commercial implementations of the uh, of our technology, and um, and to sort of bridge our uh, our connections and um, find new anchor partners and investors to uh, grow. And um, I see a few first flagship commercial installations and sort of projects um, providing validation to, to to tell the rest of the commercial helicopter sector, look, this is cutting edge stuff and it's working. You can get on board, you can be left behind. Hopefully to disrupt or like, you know, improve profitability or uh, produce quality enough force like a, a mass shift towards our technology. And then... Um, uh, yeah, I want to turn Phytoponics into sort of a technology franchise where we combine our technology with sort of synergistic technologies from partners and create like a package where we can come to growers or um, people who um, are funding these uh, fresh produce projects with a package of optimal, optimized, sustainable growing technology that we can scale around the world. Adam, thanks so much for, for taking so much time. It's taken a bit longer than expected because it was so interesting. Um, any last thoughts? I mean, where, where do you see the sort of food security on the planet? Because it seems to say uh, it's becoming a huge issue and a topic. Yeah. So I think the, the things I see, so my technology is you know, great fruit and vegetable stuff, but I see uh, some other technologies like um, uh, sort of plant-based meat, which is, I think, absolutely amazing because... Meat is so inefficient, and you know, I became a I became a pescatarian this year. Um, pescatarian, okay. So just fish. Yeah, like I, I typically yeah. think like insects, like you know, like prawn or something, right? Because the efficiency of you know, like meat is so low, it's it's it's, it's terrible. Uh, the efficiency of stuff like prawns, like reasonably good, but plants are obviously the best. If you can make like plant-based meats to like hit the spot with more red-blooded type people who want to have meat. Um, you know, like me, like I have plant-based meat, plant-based meat quite a lot. I think that's amazing. Um, but but I also see the technology developing in, let's say, the tissue culture space to um, mass-produce uh, proteins and, uh, and materials uh, for food really sort of uh, efficiently. Um, perhaps not in like a the shape of a natural piece of fruit or veg but to perform like primary ingredient proteins synthesis i see that developing um yeah. and if you can do that but that requires a lot of sugar as a feedstock and you still have to get it from uh sort of biomass mm -hmm. crops and stuff so oh, i think it's an interesting solutions and uh, uh just needs a lot more attention paying to it yeah yeah um yeah, it's fascinating. So I've been focusing on development technology, but um, I'm hoping to uh, spend a lot more time uh, on preaching and you know, educating about the sort of things I've found and the sort of vision uh, over the next few years. And um, because I think like this needs to be known and well, it's very exciting. So I'm happy to share. Well, I hope this helps in some way. Uh, it certainly helped me get a better understanding of, uh, of, of hydroponics and uh, say these it sounds like an amazing system, the deep water culture technology. Um, I wish you all the best in the future and um, let's, let's keep in touch and see how it all goes there. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it's really good to talk and yeah, I hope to connect again and uh, enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, inviting me. In this episode, I think it really highlights that fresh thinking can occur when you come from outside of an industry and that your curiosity can then be really turned into a passion. 
I also thought this is a great example of how going out and just asking can actually provide you sort of answers and advice, criticism sometimes, but help you to grow the network that you need and eventually give you the expertise in order to pull off the big idea. And it reminds me recently of an interview I heard on where Steve Jobs was talking about his time when at school he wanted to build a computer and needed parts. He rang up Bill Hewlett from Hewlett Packard. He spoke with him and was rather amazed when he got on the phone and he got the parts, but he also ended up getting an internship. And that became one of Steve Jobs' founding principles, which was, if you don't know, go out and ask, because the people have got the knowledge that they, they like to share. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Alec Dixon from Phytoponics. And if you would learn, like to learn more about deep water culture, hydroponic growing systems, and growing at scale, check out the website, phytoponics.com. That's P-H-Y-T-O-P-O-N. N-I-C-S.com. In the meantime, I just want to say a quick thanks to Nikolai Grabit for his support and inspiration. Thanks to Paul Fife, the amazing podcast editor. You can check him and his music out at paulfife.com. Thanks to Maria for her outstanding research and optimism. And of course, a big thanks to Bettina, my wife, and kids for all their support. I look forward to bringing you more amazing guests soon on the Mother Earth Hero Show. And in the meantime, Don't forget to save the planet. We need to do it sooner rather than later.